0: IBC Live 2023 is a sold-out event for Friday this year for the first time. We're making the same IBC Live experience that you would get on Friday available on Thursday as well. Tickets are still available. Visit live.indianabible.college or visit our main website and go ahead and reserve your spot for the first ever Thursday Night Live Indiana Bible College Preview Weekend is happening this February. This is our traditional time and we already almost have this event sold out. If you or someone you know is interested in seeing what Bible College is all about check it out at the website register for Preview Weekend happening at the end of February. We hope to see you there. Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today, and this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today we have the wife of our campus pastor, Sister Nikki Turner, speaking in chapel on a topic that it's not just about espresso machines, although I am very interested about whether or not she did fix her espresso machine, which you will Find out what I am talking about when you hear this tremendous message. Sister Nikki Turner and her husband do such a great job here, and you will appreciate this message entitled, Two Ways for Keeping Your Heart Before God. Let's get right to it.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you all for worshiping and lifting up the name of the Lord together. Let's go back to your seats, but remain standing and bring our, our preacher to the pulpit today. And um, it's my honor to get to introduce my wife to speak to us today. And She... She looked at me on the way in and said, I can't believe you're making me do this. And I, uh, I, I can't believe either. I know how busy her life is. And I, when I asked her, I said, don't hate me. But I just, I've been feeling, I try, you know, try to be sensitive for this pulpit. I do think it's important. And I just, her, her name has just been on my heart for, I just feel like God has something for her to say to you so she is up here being obedient and submissive to me and i'm very thankful for that and it's uh i did babysit a little bit to help her and uh not not very much time you know as being a mom of two but i love her very much and i'm grateful and let me just put a plug in for make sure that you marry the right person be very very careful in that decision Gentlemen, you will marry not just a wife. You will marry a mother of your children. Be very careful. They need a good mom. And I'm thankful that the Lord blessed me. And, of course, some of you know our story. But I'm very grateful for my wife and the example that she gives. So would you welcome her as she comes to preach what God's laid on her heart? Praise the Lord, everyone
2: can go ahead and be seated. This will be a little bit unconventional. And I am not, um, I'm not super experienced with speaking. I've spoken some. And when I speak, I generally like to have every single word that I'm going to say written down. And I like to just read it. That is not how I have come <laughs> to the pulpit today. It's a little bit his fault. <laughs> it's a little bit. <laughs> no, I I do think that God has has laid something on my heart, and this is um, this is very different for me. I'm trusting the Lord this time because I have very little written down. This is new for me. Um, And so I have a lot of stuff up here and you'll just have to bear with me and you'll have to excuse me. I also am not really um, taking a text per se today, but I'm just going to kind of walk you through where my personal Bible reading had led me. And what God had kind of been dealing with me, Um, but it, it spans about 16 chapters and if you want to go ahead and flip to Second Chronicles, I promise I won't read 16 chapters to you. But just kind of keep your finger there in 2 Chronicles, and we'll be a little bit all over the place. I told uh, Sister Sergeant back there, I hope she still loves me after this, because good luck following me <laughs> today. Before I get there, I, I just want to say... I've said this a little bit before, so you might know some of this, but just while we, while I was standing back there and and we were singing earlier, every time that I get up here on this platform, I'm almost overwhelmed. I just, I absolutely can't believe that this is what God did with my life. If you only knew my story, I'll try not to get too emotional, but I was 12 years old, it was um, 2006 I think, and I had um, a very important decision to make. I was either going to be a whale trainer or a zoologist. I was so serious, you have no idea how serious I was. Every time my parents would take me to a bookstore, I would buy a book. And it was on, this is embarrassing, it was on reptiles or amphibians or uh, <laughs> aquatic life. <laughs> I was such a nerd. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I built a library, a quite impressive library, actually. And um, I took this very seriously. I had a stack of books on my nightstand that I was working through. And the one I was paying most attention to, I was most serious about, was a book about um, all the different job options available to you if you decide to be a marine biologist, which is what I was considering at 12 years old. I was um, on a trajectory. And I was reading through that. Anyway, that's what I wanted to do with my life, with all of my heart, with every fiber of my being. I was so serious well, my first cousin attended Indiana Bible College, and two of my first cousins, one before that, but then my, uh, my cousin Matthew attended IBC at this time, and we attended a music fest, me, my parents, a small group from our church. We attended a music fest, and it was my cousin's freshman year at IBC. And so I did have two first cousins that went to IBC, but just because they went did not mean I was gonna go. I had no intention or desire until something happened. I was at Music Fest sitting up in the balcony. Um, If you're looking at the platform, I was on the right-hand side of the balcony. I can still picture it, I can close my eyes, I can see it so perfectly. They were singing the song, You Are My Joy. We sang that song a few Sunday nights ago at Calvary. And um, my mom let me walk up to the balcony and hold the ledge. And as I watched that choir, something happened. God began to deal with me. And I looked at that choir and I thought, There is nothing else that I want to do with my life. And I surrendered my little 12-year-old plans. (laughs) And I just said yes in my spirit. They were shouting and dancing and praising God. And I was from a small church in Whitehall, Arkansas. We weren't affiliated with any organization. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that in my entire life never seen anything like that. And my spirit was so stirred and so moved and God intersected my plans that night. And nobody at Calvary even knew that I walked in or that I left, but God knew. And he set something in motion in my life that night. I, I, um, Went on to receive the Holy Ghost at 13. And I took that CD home with me. It was the True Praise CD. I put it in my CD player. I played it over and over and over and over. I knew every lyric. I knew every soloist. I knew everything about that album. If you quiz me down today, I can tell you all about it. Anything you want to know. And those lyrics began to work on my heart. The moving of the Holy Ghost that actually happened during that recording. That, that power that was behind that CD, it did something to me as a 13-year-old girl when I would listen. And I would play that CD. It would be the backdrop of my trying to form a relationship with God. As I began to start praying and seeking after God, I would turn on that CD time went on, and um, our church went through a season where we were without a pastor. It was about a year-long season, and during that time, I would take my journal, and I would go in our our office, in our home, and I would, this was oftentimes at night when my parents were in bed, I would go to CalvaryTabIndy.org, and I would pull up Brother Paul Mooney, and I listened to every new sermon that I could, and I would write in my journal. I would take notes. And his preaching, his preaching formed something in me. His preaching shaped me. It shaped my thinking. It shaped my worldview. And God really drew me by his spirit in that season. But the kind of ironic thing for me standing right here is Indiana Bible College absolutely formed me. And I am so indebted to this institution. And let me tell you something I did not set out to be campus pastor's wife. I never even conceived that thought in my mind, not once. But what I did during that time in my life, I took my hands off the steering wheel. And I just said, God, I want to be used by you, I want you to take over. I want you to drive. And I tried every big decision that I ever had to make. I tried to let God be in control of that. And this is where he's brought me. And that's a little bit what I want to talk to you about today. This is um, what I'm going to talk about today. This is a theme that you can find all throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's interlaced throughout the Bible. But I'm going to... Zoom in right here because this is where my personal devotion had me, um, and I'm going to look at four kings in the book of Second Chronicles to illustrate a point. To illustrate something that I think that I think God communicates all throughout Scripture, and it's that God has a great deal to say about our heart. And he cares a great deal about our heart. And so we're going to look at scripture. We're going to start at um, chapter 13. I want to illustrate two points today about the heart. And I'm going to use four kings to illustrate two keys to keeping a right heart before god two keys to keeping a right heart before god again you could you could find this many places throughout scripture so these might not even be the perfect the most perfect um illustrations of this but this is what this portion of scripture was communicating to me as i read this this is what god was was dealing with me about. Chapter 13, verse 3 says, And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. So they were... Outnumbered times two. Take note of that. Then skip into verse 13. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them. So they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. Okay, so the picture painted here, there's absolutely no way that Abijah and Judah should have won won this battle. They were outnumbered, doubly outnumbered, and... Tactically, the way the battle was arrayed, they were being ambushed. They were sandwiched. The children of Israel were before them, behind them, closing in on them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Then verse 18, thus the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. I think that two keys to the heart. One is you have to rely upon God. Brother Wayne Huntley preaches a sermon, and um, it it's he talks about how some can, but you can't, and, and he's talking to ministers, and that's what this reminded me of. You know, some people can go about life and the challenges that life throws their way. And they can use their reasoning, they can use their judgment, they can use their talent, they can use their understanding to try to um, solve life's problems. But you cannot, and I cannot. Why? Because we are in covenant with God. We walk in covenant, and because of that, we are to rely upon God. And even more of that, you and I have accepted a calling into the ministry. And how laughable would it be to try to do ministry in our flesh? Out of our own strength, out of our own understanding, out of what we can figure out, we just try to to do things our own way. That's not allowed. And when you look through the Bible, you see Instance after instance where people rely upon God and God blesses it. And God, he has favor toward those people. And you also find instances over and over and over where people refuse to humble themselves. They take matters into their own hands and they make a mess out of their life. That's true of everyone, but it's especially true of somebody who tries to walk in covenant with God especially true of somebody who accepts the calling of God upon their life and then at some point along the way tries to take matters into their own hands and live out their life. This is how, God, how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom is counterintuitive. The rest of the world just kind of tries to get degrees and certain skill sets They try to get their life together, they get their planner, their organizer, they try to get all their ducks in a row, and they tackle life accordingly. But this is not how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom works by dependence and reliance upon him, by yielding ourselves weak, by surrendering and acknowledging, God, I know nothing. I have nothing. But you formed the world's And I need your help. We're going to skip down to um, chapter 14. And another king to illustrate this point is Asa. Verse 9 of chapter 14 says, And there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand thousand and three hundred chariots and came unto Marsha. Then Asa went out against them, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephitha at Meresha. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help. Whether with many or with them that have no power, help us, O Lord God, for we rest upon thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. I love these two passages because it says, it doesn't say that God, like, strengthened the children of Israel and they did it. It says the Lord smote the Israelites. It says the Lord smote the Ethiopians. And the Ethiopians fled. The end of verse 13 says they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host. Because they relied upon God. Does it, did it make sense? Should it have happened that way? No, it was impossible. That's the point. And that will be the point. That will be the theme your entire life if you do it how you are supposed to do it. You take your hands off. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You acknowledge that he is sovereign. You acknowledge that he is in control and that you are nothing. And especially in his ministry, you take your hand off and you say, God, not my will. God, I don't know what to say to these people. God, I don't know what this service should look like. God, I don't know where I should go. I don't know who I should marry. I don't know what I should do. And so, God, I'm turning to you. I'm looking to you. I'm trusting in you that is humbling yourself before God. That is acknowledging who he is. That is allowing him to be on the throne of your life. And so these men illustrate that to us, that when we take our hands off, God can do the work. And that's another um, part of the the counterintuitiveness, if you will, of God's kingdom. We love in our country, we love the idea of work. And oh my goodness, please don't take me the wrong way, but you, you do, you have, to, you have to put your hand to the plow, you have to work. But in another way, this is God's work. And so you can't figure it out. No organizational chart is gonna help you get to where God wants you to be. This is God's kingdom, this is God's work. And you have to acknowledge that every day of your life, especially in ministry. You say, God, I don't know what the end result should look like, and I certainly don't know how to get there. So you just use me. You just help me. You just guide me because I take my hands off, and I'm letting you rule and reign. Okay, and then we go to um, chapter 16, verse 7. Asa takes a turn. So he allowed God to win this great victory. He did the right thing at this point in his life, and he let God fight the battle so he has this incredible testimony but then at some point in his life he took a little turn and chapter 16 verse 7 says and at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him because thou hast relied on the king of Syria he decided to form an alliance with the king of Syria and has not relied on the Lord thy God therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand Were not the Ethiopians and the Levums a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have worse. God was not pleased with that. Because at some point along the way, he thought he had it figured out. He had some victories under his belt, which weren't his own victories, by the way, only because God fought the battle for him. But he got a little arrogant and he thought he knew what it was all about. So he started figuring things out and he started forming an alliance with the king of Syria. And God was not pleased with that. And God reminded him, who was it that won the battle against the Ethiopians? It wasn't you, it was me. And you took matters into your own hands. And this is, this is the first thing I want to talk about. This is the first key to keeping your heart right with God. You have got to live. You have got to walk in reliance, independence dependence upon him because he knows where you need to go. He knows where you need to be. He has the answer and he alone has the answer for your life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you need his help. Yes. We all need his help. Everyone in the world needs his help, but especially those of us who have said yes to the call of God. We cannot do it without dependence upon God. Right. And I want to illustrate with one more um, story that happened in my life, what this might look like. Sage and I were walking to our car a couple months ago. It was at night and I was holding her hand and we had almost gotten to the car and she loosened her grip on my hand because she saw the car and she wanted to run to the car. Well, there was another car coming and I saw that car coming and so I I grabbed her hand again, and I tightened my grip because I had felt she was trying to run away. And she just looked at me and said, Mommy, I want to run. And I said, Baby, you can't run. There's a car coming. Mommy has to hold your hand. And she said, Why? And I said, Well, baby, you could you could get hit by that car. That car might not see you coming. And mommy never wants you to get hit by a car, so I have to hold your hand. And she just looked up at me and said, because it would hurt really bad. I would get a boo-boo. And she said, and I would be very sad. (laughs) And that was really cute. But honestly, in that moment, I became physically nauseous like I literally felt so sick at the gap between my knowledge of what would happen and her knowledge of what would happen and my inability to even, to even articulate to her. She has no concept of what would happen and I, I couldn't even frame the words to get it through her head. Like she just, she just can't. And so I said, Sage, you just have to trust mommy You just have to trust mommy, okay? She said, okay, mommy. But God used that moment to show me something that night. You see, the gap in the understanding between me and Sage represents the gap in your knowledge and my knowledge and his knowledge. And that's why we hold his hand. And that's why we cannot afford to ever let go of his hand. Because he sees it all, and he understands it all. And just as I was to Sage that night, so are we to God and God to us. He framed the world. He knows something about life and existence. He knows something about any any avenue, anything you want to bring to him, marriage, love, relationships, um, ministry, where you should go Anything you want, any problem you want to bring to him, any family dynamic you want to bring to him, he knows something about it. And that's why we cannot afford to ever think that we can walk without holding his hand. We must rely on. On the Holy Ghost. We must rely on the Spirit. We must walk holding His hand and trusting in Him and knowing that He is sovereign and that He sits on the throne and that He has our best interests at heart and He alone has the answer for our life and He alone knows how to get us to where we need to be. So we must live and we must walk in reliance and dependence upon His Spirit. The second Thing that I want to illustrate the second key to keeping a right heart before God. We're going to back up all the way to the first chapter of Second Chronicles, and we're going to look at Solomon. Chapter 1, verse 11, this is a very familiar portion of Scripture. God said to Solomon, because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had, that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. What we see here is that God responds to us at the level of our heart. God responds to us based on what's in our heart. And we see this principle paralleled in the New, the New Testament seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Because Solomon had Motives that were after the heart of God because in his heart he was aligned with God and He had there was a purity about what he asked God. There was a purity about his motive that God could have respect unto. He was about God's business and what he asked of God was not selfish. And God said, I can respect that, I can honor that and because you've asked that, because you've sought that, I'll take care of all the other stuff too. And... We see here that Solomon, he was not about posturing himself. There was a simplicity here. There was a a purity here about what was in his heart, the content of his heart that God could bless. And that's the second key that I want to talk about to keeping a right heart before God. Is you must keep a pure motive. You must keep a pure heart. You must rely upon God, you must rely upon his spirit, and you must guard at all costs the content of your heart. Because out of it flow the issues of life. Out of it, out of that heart of yours, you're going to live life. And you're going to pray prayers. And you're going to walk and you're going to sing. And you're going to minister. And at all costs, you must guard what's inside of your heart. Because God can either have respect unto it or he can't. And you need God's favor in your life. And so you need to align your heart with something God can bless, with something God can use. We're going to flip and look at another king really quick. And that's Rehoboam. And that is in, let's see, chapter 12. And we're given an instance in verse 6, actually, verse 5. We're given an instance where a prophet comes to Rehoboam and he confronts Rehoboam. And in verse 6, it says that the king humbled himself, which is a good thing. And in verse 7, it says, the Lord came back to the prophet, and he said, they have humbled themselves, the king and, and, and the nation, and therefore I will not destroy them. But I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Because he humbled himself. The hardening of Rehoboam's heart would have been the worst response to this prophecy. But true repentance would have been the best. There was, however, there was reward for the softening of his heart, though it wasn't optimal. And how do we know that? Well, we know, we see in the life of Saul before this, that Saul completely hardened his heart before God, and God just really rejected Saul at the end of his life. But then we see that David is confronted by the prophet, and God's pretty mad at David. But David, his response is to do an about-face. His response is total repentance, and so the end of David's life looks much different. But how does the end of Rehoboam's life look Verse 14 says, and he did evil. This is after he humbled himself. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And this reminded me of Esau who who sought repentance with fear and trembling, but he never he never found that place of repentance. He never was able to get his heart aligned with God. And so it matters what's in that heart of yours. It matters what are your motives. What is your agenda? How is your heart before God? We see a difference in all of these kings and all of this illustrates to us the position of the heart before God and what God is pleased with and what he's not pleased with. And what he's pleased with, two things. One is alignment with him, a pure motive, a pure heart. And one is reliance and total dependence upon God. I just did a thing. I bought an espresso machine on Facebook Marketplace. Now, let me take you back a little bit. When we first got married for our wedding, we were given a juicer. And um, it was a really nice juicer, and it came with the receipt from Bed Bath Beyond and we had really been wanting this espresso machine that we had seen at Bed Bath & Beyond. So we decided that we were so grateful for that juicer, but we would really rather have the espresso machine. So we took the juicer back to Bed Bath & Beyond, and they had a 20% off sale that day, and I also had a gift card to Bed Bath & Beyond. So I ended up getting like our dream espresso machine for $20. I was so proud of that. So then Every day after that, we brought home that beautiful, shiny espresso machine that was up to our standard. It was one of the nice ones. And we made coffee way too much. We made coffee. Yeah, we do, honestly. But at at the beginning, it was like, it was, it was getting ridiculous. It was like three times a day. We made so much coffee. Well, Two years, almost two years after that, when we lived in the um, the basement house that the church had provided us, that house burned down. And so our espresso machine <laughs> burned in that fire. It went bye-bye. It was so sad. Well, <laughs> we ended up living in Many of you know this story if you don't come ask me later, but we ended up living in a little house that my parents had in their backyard that they had built for my grandmother when my grandpa passed away, and that's where we lived for um, two years, two years roughly after the house fire. we lived there and just kind of saved up and um, i don't know we just that was the backyard season of our life <laughs> so but The very first thing that we purchased, this is kind of confession, honestly. The very first thing that we purchased, or one of the first things, this is where our priorities were. We got that espresso machine back. And let me tell you, we paid full price because that espresso machine was so just key. It was just so important to us. It, it led to so many good times and good conversations and good days, rainy days at home. <laughs> we would get out a good book and we would, we would make some coffee. And you know what? We just really, we needed that espresso machine. It, it was a need. It really was a need. So one of the first things that we bought after the house fire, if Dave Ramsey is listening to this, he just passed out. Somebody get him a CPAP. <laughs> But this is what we did. We purchased the espresso machine full price and it is still with us to this day and it is making espresso at least twice a day but it's twice a day for both of us so it's four times a day at least. Yeah, yeah and for events we've taken, we've literally we've toted that thing all over the country like it's bad. Two weeks ago though that beloved espresso machine started leaking all over our counter. Every day, he would come downstairs and he would notice the counter just so wet because the espresso machine was leaking. And we're like, no, you've got to hold on. Like, you really, you really have to hold on. We cannot buy another espresso machine right now. And it's been with us for so long. Like, we're so emotionally attached to that thing. (laughs) But... It's just it's starting to die. It's starting to bite the dust. So I began just scrolling periodically on Facebook Marketplace just to see, like, if something just fell from the sky. You know, if something just landed there that was, like, an amazing deal and we couldn't help it, we would say thank you, Jesus, and take that blessing. And, and we would try to sell the current espresso machine and get whatever we could out of it. Um. So I began scrolling I began looking at Facebook Marketplace And then we began doing some research And just kind of like dreaming Okay, if we did buy Espresso Machine If the perfect Espresso Machine did fall out of the sky And land on Facebook Marketplace For an incredibly affordable price If that did happen, what would it look like? What would that Espresso Machine be? So our like Our idea was just Maybe one tier above what we currently have. Now, that's out of our price bracket, honestly. So, that's why I was on Facebook Marketplace. I was so responsible, right? I was on Facebook Marketplace, not Amazon. But but our goal was to shoot a little higher. We wanted the next tier of espresso machine that could create a little bit better quality of espresso. I'm about to really geek out on you, so hold on. So... In this whole process, we discovered, like, the whole realm of espresso machines. And and I'm not going to get too detailed with you because you would get really bored. But there's a whole spectrum. So there's, like, what's in Quincy's? No. There's what's at Calvary. And then there's what's at Quincy's. And then there's what was at Quincy's right before what we have now, which I think Sister Moretta now owns which I really wanted that, but that's okay, because Sister Moretta needs it more than I do. But then, there, after that, there's, like, you just, you can keep going, and there's what's called a prosumer espresso machine, which is what, the, like, somebody who's serious about espresso typically can afford to keep in their home. And it's not a Lamaze, but it's, like, a little bit somewhere in between. Anyway, it's, it's based on what's affordable, honestly, because if you know anything about espresso machines, they're like, they cost what your car costs. So we weren't shooting there, but we were shooting below there, but above what we currently have, if that makes sense, okay? So I'm on Facebook Marketplace and I just see this, this beautiful espresso machine that just catches my eye and I'm like, that looks like the real deal. That could preach, but I won't preach there. That looks like the real deal. So I click on that and I'm looking and it so happens that Seattle Coffee Gear, whose videos we watch a lot of, this is just confession time, I'm sorry. <laughs> we love coffee. So we've watched a lot of Seattle Coffee Gear videos and they have created this machine for people like us who don't wanna spend the like astronomical amount of money that we would need to spend to buy a prosumer machine, but yet has some of the qualities that we love about those machines and makes it like more affordable except for if you buy it at market price it's not affordable for us but if it happened to be on facebook marketplace it might be so i just see it one day as i'm scrolling there it is in peru indiana there is this machine for this price that's like i mean it's a really good price but i don't want to pay that price so i'm like what if I could get them down just a little bit? That would be, we could do that. And then I got a little bit of money for my birthday and I'm like, okay, we're doing that. So I started asking this lady, I started up a conversation with her. I'm like, why do you want to sell this? I found out it's new in the box. Hello, new in the box, amazing price. And so I'm like asking her these questions. Well, why do you want to get rid of it? And so she says, we were given this as a wedding gift We have no idea how to use it. We don't even like espresso. We know nothing about coffee. And like, it means nothing to us. And so I'm like, okay, thank you, Jesus. Like, yes, there it is right there. Like best case scenario, right? It's in Peru, Indiana, one hour drive, but the drive is worth it for that price. And look at that machine, oh my goodness. So we did it. We drove there and I even got her down so much off her asking price. And, like, it was just because it meant nothing to her. She just wants to get rid of it. And it means so much to me. So, I'm like, it was a win-win, okay? So, we meet in the, um, the gas station parking lot. We have a transfer of espresso machine. I bring it home. We set it on our countertop. It instantly elevated my entire kitchen. Like, It just has this sparkle. It is just, it is beautiful. And you look at that machine and you say, that machine knows something about coffee. That's a good machine. I mean, you don't even have to know anything about coffee, but you know when you see that machine that that machine can make some good coffee. But there is a problem. I regret to inform you. But I do want to, wait, time out. I do want to say to my husband in this moment who drove to Peru, Indiana, and um, helped us with this espresso machine endeavor that obviously this is the will of God because I'm using it in my sermon, so. Okay. (laughs) So for whatever that's worth, it's currently in an espresso machine shop right now. So y'all say a prayer for it when in your spare time. So he's tinkering with the machine. He's working on it. I'm just like staring at it at, and just beholding its glory because it is beautiful. And, and I told you I was going to kind of geek out on you, and I am. It, it's got PID temperature control, and most of you don't even know what that is. But it comes with really expensive espresso machines and it's on ours, and it wasn't that expensive at all. And it's just like, so many features in this machine, and I'm just like, I'm just reveling in its beauty. And then, this thing happens. He turns on the machine, and it's supposed to immediately pour water through the brew head, and no water comes out the brew head. So we're YouTubing, We're like, calling Seattle Coffee Gear, doing all this research, and after we really started doing all this research, we find that this is a common problem with this machine. That periodically, when people buy this machine brand new, this thing happens where there's a faulty pump placed in the machine, and it doesn't work at all. That's okay if you bought the machine from Seattle Coffee Gear, because you can send it back and they'll replace it for free and send it back to you. However, if you bought it from Facebook Marketplace and you don't have a warranty, oops. (laughs) Our machine, I regret to inform you, has a faulty pump after calling Seattle Coffee Gear and talking to them and them diagnosing the problem from afar. And so our machine is sick It's in the shop right now. I think it can be fixed in Jesus' name for cheap. If it can't for cheap, it is what my husband called it, a hunk of junk. (laughs) (laughs) So there's the sad story of the espresso machine. But I said all that to say this. There is a point to all I just said. That espresso machine, although it is shiny and beautiful and the parts are made of stainless steel so it's high quality and it's got PID control and it has an incredible steam wand and it's got so many bars of pressure that create awesome espresso and it was handcrafted in Italy although it's got all those things going for it the pump like the engine of the machine doesn't even work it's pointless It's absolutely useless. And if you, my friends, have a faulty heart, you are useless in the hand of God. You are absolutely useless. I don't care what your resume looks like. I don't care what kind of education you can stack behind your name. I don't care what kind of talent you bring to the table. I don't care if you buy your clothes from Goodwill or anthropology. If your heart is off, you are useless in the hand of God. However, how do you, how, how much use do you think I could get out of an espresso machine that maybe had had good qualities, could could create good espresso. Maybe it doesn't look as nice and shiny as that one that we currently have. Which one do you think would be more valuable to me? This one that like has all these features but can't produce espresso? Or maybe one that doesn't look as shiny and sparkly but it creates incredible espresso. Which one's more valuable? So my point is this, if you have a heart that is contrite, if you have a heart that is has the right posture and has a pure motive and has an agenda that is in the alignment with God, God does not care what you bring to the table in terms of talent or ability. He can use you in his kingdom. And in fact, that is the only way he can really use you in his kingdom. What is your heart? What, what is in your heart? So two keys to keeping a right heart before God. You must depend, you must rely upon God and you must keep a pure heart. You must guard your heart. You must have a pure desire, a pure motive. And I wanna end with this if the music wants to come. If you were to take anything that you see and chip away at it and chip away at it, some of our girls have heard me talk about this before until it is at its most stripped down, tiniest, most basic form it could ever be, what would you have? You would find an atom, right? Atoms are the building blocks of life. They are the smallest element that is out there. Everything that you see is a collection of atoms. In much the same way in the spiritual realm, we are a collection of motives. Motives are the spirit. in the spirit what atoms are in the physical. They are tiny and underlying and looked over. They're not readily apparent. You don't just see an Adam and you don't just see a motive. You don't just think about them, but they're always there. And actually they determine the trajectory of our lives, our position and our standing before God. Hebrews four twelve through 14 says, "'The word of God is quick and powerful, "'sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. You have to have very powerful scientific tools in order to expose an Adam. But the word of God is the very powerful tool that we use to expose our motives. Without a pause button in our lives for prayer and God's word, we never get to that motive that causes us to do, say, think the things that we do. Every day we have a responsibility, we have a mandate to get the microscope out spiritually through these means, through prayer, through the word of God, and point it at our hearts and say, God, Get at the root of the matter. Weigh me in the balance. Meet me at my intentions, my thoughts, my desires, and deal with me there. Because I'm not tricking you. And there may even be things in me that I am not even aware of, but all things are exposed and open before you. You see the components, the elements, the atoms that make up my life. Before we can have right living and correct thinking, those very structural elements have to be dealt with. Those have to be correct. Because if they are tainted and if they are off, everything will be off. We must have humility and openness before God to say, God, every nook and crevice of my life, you can expose the seemingly tiniest little things in me that are causing me to think, act and speak in ways that are unrighteous and not pleasing to you. Search me, O oh God and know my heart, that's my appeal to you today. That's the prayer that I want to be formed on your lips today. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You can't look at the world and see atoms. You can't look at people and see motives. Sometimes you can't even look at yourself and correctly diagnose motives but God can. This word can. You'll see the reflection of what really lies in that heart of yours when you open this word and when you get on your knees in prayer and say, God, what's really in my heart? What's really in my life? Show me how to depend upon you. Show me how to rely upon you. Show me how to not, get out of step with you, how to not get out ahead of you, how to not take matters into my own hand. Expose my motives, expose who I really am, God. Because when I live my life and when I pray prayers and when I sing songs and when I preach sermons, I want it to come from a place that you can have respect unto I want it to come from a place that you can bless. I want it to come from a place that is pure. Let it never be said of me that I didn't get my heart right, that I didn't have a heart that you could work with, that I never sought you, that I never got in alignment with you. So those are two keys today that I want you to take with you as you go. You've got to have God's help. Please don't think so highly of yourself that you think you can do life on your own, but certainly not ministry. Don't get out ahead of God. Don't try to open doors for yourself. Don't live your life out of ambition. Don't try to to think up what you think a service should look like, what you think an altar call should look like. You put that in God's hand. You let him fight that battle you give your life to God you let God examine you and deal with you at the level of your heart if you feel like praying I wonder if we could come to this altar and kneel in your chair and I just want you to take a look at your heart right now and just pray this prayer with me God I need to have a right heart with you I need to have a right heart with you I need to have a heart that you can bless. I need to have a heart that you can have respect unto. I don't want to be useless in your hands, God. But God, I want you to use me.